What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMeo, and today I am super excited to welcome yet another one of our sensational speakers to the podcast and to the 2024 seminar. He was on earlier this season. He is still the reigning and defending Stanley Cup champion. That is Dr. Aaron Heishman. Heishman. I'm super stoked to have you on the docket, bro. Uh, this July is going to be absolutely fantastic. And I'm really grateful for you getting up early here to spend some time with us, you know, dealing with us people in this East Coast bias that, that happens all over the world of sport and being able to hop up at what's early for us is late for you, depending on, you know, the person in Vegas. So appreciate you hopping on, man, and super stoked to welcome you to the seminar, bro. Thanks a ton. I'm super excited for it. I uh, appreciate you having me. It's always a joy to talk. Yeah, man. So listen, we, we were talking a little bit, you know, obviously we've gotten through all the, the fun, who is Aaron and all that stuff earlier in the season, but let, let's get into some real fun stuff, man. And we were talking a little bit here about new challenges and, and things that are sort of rearing their head, if you may. Uh, because with every yin, there's a yang. And you guys obviously experienced the greatest yin of all, the, the greatest win of all. So let's talk about some of these, you know, newer challenges and things that are in front of you that you guys are, are building and growing and developing off of. Yeah, for sure. So uh, to start off with, I think uh, with the extended postseason, it makes for a really short off season. So that presents a few challenges uh, with guys training level coming into the to the the season uh, and making sure that they're prepared for the year. So it does change the off season, which um, changes kind of the preparation for the for the forthcoming season with those deep playoff runs. So I think that's a piece of it. Um, some other day to day challenges that we face in this environment is uh, our data streams are um, can be inconsistent um, based off of the schedule and travel, and we play so frequently. So you don't want to test some things very close to games or in, or in game day. So you have um, short windows that you can get certain data collected. Uh, so that kind of poses a challenge. Then also uh, at this level, compared to college, uh, players don't have to participate in any kind of testing. So they can say, I don't want to test or uh, I don't want to wear my monitor. And that's why uh, uh, it's important to have good relationships with the players. So uh, they want to do those things and they know that, that you're a fiduciary and supporter of them. And we're using this information to make actionable decisions. Uh, so they will, when you get those small windows, they will want to do the testing for you. So that's a key piece. Um, another challenge I would say would be in, in our environment is the, is the communication. And I think this is everywhere, but the communication between all the stakeholders, there's a lot of stakeholders uh, between performance and medical, uh, sports psych, nutrition, uh, even management, and uh, our sports hockey side, making sure they're aware of uh, situations and how, how guys are doing. So having a, a continuous flow of communication uh, is super critical. It can be challenging at times. So uh, we always try to focus here on, on over-communicating and making sure that, that everybody's in the know of all the information so, so we can support the players as best as possible. I love the fact that you refer to it as a fiduciary. I think that that people need to understand more so what you mean with that, because I don't know if everybody would be, uh, they probably don't listen to as many personal finance uh, podcasts as I do. So they may not necessarily understand what that means, but I think that that's vital 
especially in a situation where there are options to everything they do. Definitely. So we're just, uh, the way I think of it is we're trying to support the player uh, with, without our own interest or anything at stake. We're, we're solely thinking on uh, bringing value to them and doing what they need to be successful and thinking about their success, one individually, and then hopefully that builds in uh, to the team success uh, as a whole. So um, it's, it's putting the players first and everything we do, we're making decisions that's going to be most impactful and most positive uh, for that player. Yeah, because if they understand that you don't have an ulterior motive and you don't have an, you know, a secondary or tertiary agenda to get literally your chunk of flesh in this sense, um, everything is going to roll smoother and it's going to allow everyone to do their jobs at such a higher level. Completely agree. Definitely. And, and even more so, being exposed as the antithesis to that will do irreparable harm. For sure. And I think here as well in, in the professional setting, right? This It's a business still, right? So uh, I think the players are always cautious and this isn't just hockey, this is everywhere uh, about what information, more information we think is better, but actually it could be viewed that more information could be detrimental. Right. Instead of just looking how I how I perform during the game, if you're adding in these underlying factors, it could be detrimental or you could use that information against me. Uh, so that's one thing we try uh, to make sure that we're we're not doing it. it's a very supportive process. So we get more adherence, increase our data uh, coming in and that way we can understand better to help the players better. So in a situation now where we're looking at collecting data to as you said, be a fiduciary to find the best possible solutions for these, these athletes. When you have these kind of hamstringing situations where collection isn't as consistent as would need to be, uh, let alone people who may not be as compliant as they would need to be, how do you connect these missing dots? From one of the big thing is uh, we try to make have, a, have make an understanding of the information uh, the best we can with what we have available. Uh, sometimes that can be tricky, and, and you um, have to make some big assumptions sometimes. Uh, or what, another piece of it is just reducing down of like what is the most important information that we think that we need to get, and we'll focus on getting that more consistently. Uh, there's other things we can do uh, statistically of uh, interpolate some information if we're if we're missing data so um, sometimes that can be valuable but uh, the big thing what we've tried to do is reduce down what are our, our kpis what things do we want to measure consistently for us that turns into which information do we collect can we be most actionable about uh and kind of also um, which is not too intrusive to get the players to ask the players to test consistently uh so we try to focus our our collection um and then you have to, at the end of the day, you have to make some assumptions if you, if you have missing data, um, whether that's through interpolation or um, just reducing your level of understanding and uh, increasing your chance of being wrong. In summary, the, all, the, all, the, all the models are wrong anyways. It just some happen to be super, super helpful, uh, but the combination. Yeah, and I think that that's a tricky um, high wire to, to kind of, traverse right because 
there are going to be things that are going to allow you to have a better idea of what may be good, bad, or indifferent. But if it's not able to be consistently um, evaluated, is it too much of an assumption to make it actionable? Yeah, that's a, uh, an issue we deal with daily. Uh, and then there's certain things that you can do of, um, when you do get some data collection, if you can use historic data and understand like what meaningful change looks like so we could have a better understanding that if we have just one data point, how do you interpret that uh, individually? Uh, what historic data do you have on a player? And it's, it's great. We've had a, um, a lot of players that have been here a while, so you can use historic information to compare uh, uh, with, with what is expected um, for those guys across time. Um, but you're doing, just doing the best you can with it. But it's, yeah. it's not perfect at times. No, 100%. And I think, too, that, that what that could help with, though, in a sense, is I think at least a roadblock that I've come under from time to time is people want to take data and they want to look at it as a whole within the unit, meaning they don't want to look at Aaron's data for Aaron. They want to look at Aaron and Jay's data for the team. And I think that no matter what the modality is, when you plug and play different people in at different times, and there may be inconsistencies within that, one-offs become too much of the norm, and it makes too much of a small change too impactful. And people want to make decisions then off of large fluctuations where just removing one person made the change or uh, where, where it made a massive change where it maybe didn't make a massive change to the individual, but it made a massive change to the group or one person having a massive change made a massive change to the group, but everybody else was within their standard deviation of all time. And I think that that's a tricky road to hoe with some coaches because they get so In our world, it's very easy to program for the individual. In a sport coach's world, it's very challenging. And they look at the minutia to try to be the majority, and that's hard. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a uh, uh, the, the unique situations stand out. It's like those are the ones we need to address rather than seeing the group as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, too, it's important to remember, like, from a – from a science perspective and maybe a sports science perspective, a lot of the, the questions that we have and things we're trying to really understand and answer take time. It's not just one data collection and one people want the answers right now, but I, I usually think of this as uh, there's short-term uh, solutions, short-term analyses that we're doing. We're collecting, how's this guy looking compared to his previous data? These short, we can have immediate impact. And then there's back burner things that are always long-term cooking where we need to get a substantial database so we can run the analyses that we would like. Uh, so these better projects take longer time and they're serial usually, right? Like when you do a dissertation, there's usually multiple studies that intertwine because you're trying to attack understanding a certain uh, scope of information uh, in a certain field. So a lot of times uh, through the PhD process, they want you to see that you can do 
work that's linked together. So you did one study, this is where I started, here's the next study and how, how I progressed through that. I think about sports science that way of uh, when we're collecting this information or we have questions, what are the, the questions we need to ask first in order to get to the actual question that we have? Because the actual question is usually something bigger and more grandiose that you're gonna have to do uh, smaller studies and smaller examinations uh, to really attack that main question. Uh, and in, in the applied setting, it's having the timing and the structure of those analyses uh, to, you get, to use that information to get to the, the overarching larger question. I think that that is a step that we all skip. Pointing the thumbs here for sure. We want to get to, we want to get to the big question where if we would have answered, asked the smaller ones, that question may not have even been what we needed to ask. And we may have found better responses to it. For sure. I think that a lot of times people are trying to hit home runs where it's like hit a couple of base hits and you're going to have more and better information. Uh, and I think that starts with uh, whenever you have technology, if, if, how reliable is my data? That's where I usually start. What What's the variability day-to-day -day that I'm seeing? So uh, if, if, if you're doing some kind of testing and we're, we're wondering if this is a real difference, well, but we need a, a couple measurements just to see how does it vary from, from the several different test points with similar time. So at the beginning of a week, what am I expecting a guy to come in with a, uh, one day after a game or two days after a game? What am I expecting this data to look like? Uh, and then we can establish norms. And then uh, the next step usually for me is... Um, when we do try to evaluate kind of the sensitivity of it. So if we if we have an, a, a high fatiguing situation, did our indice change as expected? Was the was it able, was our measurement able to detect like, oh, now he's actually different um, and we've seen a reduction here or you think of it vice versa in the return to play process. If you have uh, baseline data and you have some asymmetry, we test that multiple times. Uh, what is the asymmetry? How has that changed? And then as they go through the protocol, uh, are we within the normal limits of the expected asymmetry or expected variability of the data um, uh, associated with an asymmetry, say, if we don't have great baseline data? So uh, those those small steps really matter in, in like culminating the information for the, the, the larger understanding. Yeah, and all, like you said earlier, that all takes time to establish. It takes a lot of time, and uh, I think uh, I've had I've had a few conversations with fellow sports scientists and whatnot, and a lot of coaches want that because their job is so immediate. They want to do something and know the answer right now, and it just takes time to really understand it. And uh, a lot of the the one step in science everyone forgets about is the the repeat this uh, repeat this study and let's do uh, do it again and see if we get the same results. That's wildly left out of sports science, right? Someone's done this and then no one really repeats that study. Or you do a very similar situation uh, that you should expect the same outcome. Maybe it's not the exact same study design, but uh, you build a little bit so it's a, it's a, you expect the same outcome. Um, a lot of times we do one study and people will run with that information rather than trying to make it repeatable. Uh, and then also they're doing it in their, the, the studies that you read like in, a, in a journal, right? They're doing it in their environment and maybe it's with a completely different sport and people don't take the time to make sure that data is generalizable uh, at their current population, right? So um, maybe you're doing jump testing and you see data from what happened in rugby, but 
rugby guys jump probably much less consistently than your uh, basketball athletes, right? So those are all the th things that need to be taken into consideration. And, and I try to sift through of trying to do some preliminary uh, assessments to see if the data that we're seeing and the conclusions they draw are generalizable uh, to our population if it's not taken from our specific uh, specific cohort. Yeah, but even if it's not generalizable, there are still aspects of it that can help drive those decisions in those directions, right? Like you, looking at what they did can help at the least part spark ideas, but how they established it can allow you then to take your step backs and understand the modifications you would need to provide. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I completely agree. Uh, and you you can use their methods and premise uh, of how they set up their their testing uh, to, to include in your testing um, and, and reevaluate, but it's that step of making sure that it's similar. Like you wanna go through a similar process, like, oh, we're seeing the same things uh, and kind of validate that in our environment. Yeah, but I do think that the retest aspect of it is, you know, now that you say it, it's obviously something that we've all done, you know, where you just, lack of a better term, right? You just take them for their word and you just go about it and you're like, oh, well, I mean, this is what it is. And it's, unfortunately, there's so many different things that could impact the directions and the decisions they made that it may or may not actually be what we think it is. Definitely. Yeah, completely agree. And that's why I think it's important to uh, at least do your due diligence and uh, seeing the crossover. Yeah, but it, again, going all the way back, that's hard, that's challenging, and that takes time. Um, and it takes probably one or two mistakes you know sort of if you may just stealing someone's recipe and not understanding how they cook the meal you know and trying to plug and play things that may or may not work um we've all done it pointing both thumbs at that one you know especially <laughs> younger practitioners the the whole idea of what worked there is going to work here um it it, it makes it difficult Completely. I think all the things too we're talking about is a uh, is a bit more of the art of it, and we're using it's that's why it's not solely data driven, but you're using your coaching intuition, your uh, um, like practical skill set to really interpret this information and apply it, and really understand these complex interactions. So um, I think this is where we get into we use our science at the base, and then we use that melding um, in some of the art to make it fit our environment and the things we're observing, and uh, how better to serve the athletes. Yeah, and to date myself as how, to how old I am, other than just my gray hair, uh, there once was a time when people would argue about being evidence based in their training, right? Like, and it's like, well, I hope so because if you're not doing things that are providing evidence that they work, then the hell are you doing? But for sure, another talk for another day with that one, I guess. I uh, completely agree. But yeah, man. So listen, as we start looking at this though, Heish, you know, these are things where you've had to build out systems. You've had to take a look. You've had to evaluate what you're doing, how you're doing it and what's best for the guys to, in order to keep that fiduciary status. And this is something that that's hard. And it's, it's things that we've all made mistakes with when we build out these systems and trying to figure it out. So I think this is a great lead into the big three brothers. So let's hop into these here. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. So let's start right there with mistakes, man. Like, like let's talk about 
that first? You know, in our world of performance, what are some mistakes that you see and, and how do you feel like we could do better or do things differently to correct the issues? Yeah, there's, there's two real ones that come to mind for me. The first off is uh, most of us probably listen to this podcast, have our background in physical preparation or uh, more on the physical side. Um, and we oftentimes performers refer to ourselves as performance coaches. I think it's important to remember for these athletes that we're working with, what performance is. And sometimes I think we take a very myopic view where performance is what is your weight room numbers and your, your counter movement jump and uh, your physical preparation where we're starting to get into understanding on ice and uh, in-game performance as well. That's probably what we need to really focus and shift our mindset of how these things build into actual performance uh, and the contribution to actual performance in the game. Uh, actual performance in the game. One is winning and then uh, two, what are the most successful players in the game uh, and, and what makes them successful and, and how do we put them in a good position to be successful? Clearly the physical components are a large piece of it, uh, but I think it's important to keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, and that's what's really shifted my mind um, probably over the last uh, two years is uh, we really wanna understand uh, how the athletes the components that make the athletes perform well uh, in game. And that, that's multifaceted, it's the big, tough question, uh, but it's more than just physical attributes um, that, that lead into the performance uh, component. So that's the, the first piece. The second piece, uh, as a field, I mentioned it in the, in the last time we chatted, but I think as a field, uh, we need more focus on these leadership and manage, management components uh, in our environment, right? That's gonna pull in the communication skills and um, uh, how, to, how to work with other people, how to uh, uh, make sure that we're um, uh, just being effective in our environment, right? And a lot of times we get highly technically trained people that get put in large leadership roles or directors of performance where in those roles you're doing less of technical information and you're doing uh, more of the leadership and management components uh, and those the, the leadership and management components is really what makes uh, a high performance environment like this work and, and work to, and you have a lot of high quality high talented people working together uh, so that's another piece i think we need more one more educational pieces in this area we need a better understanding of um, what are the key components of uh, leadership and management in our environment and, and just more focus there. Whenever I mention that, I got to mention Jay Millett and that's some of the work that, that he put me onto and um, things that have really changed my perspective um, from a personal development standpoint of you can know as, as much technical skill uh, as anyone, but if you can't have the these other components, components of leadership and management, it's really hard to uh, be successful in, in the, the high performance environment. Yeah. And then what's really hard at tying those together is, again, going back to the idea of keeping your fiduciary status with the athletes is, is there a model of what a successful player KPI wise may have? I'm sure there is. Will there ever be a player that fits that model? Probably not. Every single player, their skating strides different. Whether you're six foot or five foot, it makes it different. Their arm length is different. So how they rotate to, you know, shoot a, a snapper or to rip a, a wrist shot is going to be different. So then 
building out those systems, like you said, and it's had been said a billion times. And it's misquoted, right? Like everybody says it's like Ralph Waldo Emerson that said uh, this, or whoever it was, like some system, like all systems are wrong or some are useful. Like it's, it's misquoted by whoever said it. So I'm screwing it up myself right there doing it again. But anyway, um, understanding that building that out is an ever-evolving, never-ending, with no true answer in sight process. For some people will be frustrating, but I think for many of us is fascinating. For sure. I'm definitely on the fascinating side. And I think uh, it is, it's, it's like kind of the, the holy grail question. And the more we get to the game, the more complex the 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 scenarios are right to see uh, the underlying components, the things that feed into the next level in the hierarchy, which is, I, I think of it as kind of like a pyramid. We have these base structures where we have these physical demands, uh, physical components, which feed into, we could test that in the gym. Like the assumption is if you have a high, uh, a heavy squat, you'll have a, the next level would be more specific in a, in a movement would be like a jump or something, right? You have a high squat, you would have a, uh, high counter movement jump. These are still physical components, but if you go to the next level, it's like the assumption is we test the counter movement jump because we think that if people have uh, power during the counter movement jump, that'll be generalizable to maybe uh, on ice on ice performance uh, of of skating speed. Or, um, but each level of the pyramid that you go up, you lose predictability because there's more components from one component because there's more components involved. So, um, I think what's fascinating to me is trying to uncover those components and what do we think of the KPIs in each area uh, to one, identify talent, and then two, uh, which one of those components are trainable and which ones are not. So we can focus on the ones that we can improve um, as performance coaches uh, with, with the trainability of each aspect. So I think it is a ever evolving question. The uh, question gets, uh, it's the same, same question, but we get better technology that we can answer new questions that could help us understand the overarching question as well. So I think, like you said, it's going to be a, a long time, all ever evolving process of, of kind of chipping away at that and understanding it. Yeah, but I also think that with that evolution comes running down rabbit holes, digging up new questions, solutions, deeper dives which leads into more education and figuring out better ways to learn and grow in that sense. So I think that runs right into number two, buddy. And you know, that simply is what advice do you give to coaches, you know, to improve knowledge along the lines, you know, of continuing education. And this could be through any mean method possible. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, I think one of the pieces that I try to do just personally is uh, just read a lot and read research, uh, especially research not in our specific area uh, to see how other people in other fields are thinking about similar topics or answering questions or um, it's, it's stimulating to me in that way. Uh, one advice, I, that's one of the ways I use social media is I follow like other scientists that are high in their field. They, they put out papers so you get um, a quick sense of the day, you can scroll through your feed and click on a few things and get information that you usually wouldn't get. Um, it's, it's really hard to have time to sift through Google Scholar or something and find new information. So I use the, I use social media in that way as a uh, access point to information because a lot of people have already filtered through uh, a lot of the, the, 
new data, new research for the day or uh, for the week, and they'll repost that. So using that to kind of catch on and um, stimulate thinking. Uh, and then the other, it's, it's, I would add to that, it's really hard to know what your blind spots are. So if you can look in other fields and see what other people are thinking about, that's really stimulating, at least for me, uh, to understand of areas that I need to understand better, read more in, uh, or, or what my blind spots are. I think uh, the next component would be uh, in today's world, there's a there's so many podcasts to, to get information from, uh, which is great. But I would say also go outside the, the physical preparation area and, and think and learn about other stuff. Um, and then the kind of the, the last component, and I don't do this well enough. It's something I'm, I want to get better at, but uh, call and talk with people. Uh, that's what makes this conference so great because it's a small group where you can really sit and hash it out and talk about ideas. And uh, it's okay not to have the, the answers, I believe. It's a it's stimulated to talk about the questions and the way we can think about stuff. Uh, so I wish I, I would do this more often of hopping on calls with people and just having uh, deep conversations um, and, and exchanging ideas. So I would I would uh, propose that most people, if you reach out to them, they're very willing to talk and share in our field. It's a kind of a blessing of our field, I think. Uh, so calling other people and, and having conversations. Yeah, and it's never been easier when you can just reach out through a DM to find somebody or whatever it may be. Definitely. And then Zoom, everyone says so after COVID, everyone's had so much access to Zoom and being on video calls. So uh, it's just it's very, very uh, easy in our uh, modern world here to um, be connected and, and learn through other people and see what other people are thinking about. And I think that's uh, um, something I really like to enjoy doing and would wish I did more often. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes it's challenging with time and time zones and travel and all this, that, and the third, but it also could just be an excuse from me because I'm old and grumpy, but, you know, I think, you know, the kind words you dropped about the seminar, bro, I, I really appreciate it. You know, it's, it's great to have you coming back. It's great to have you as part of it. I'm really excited to, to get you back in Virginia, buddy, but you know, let me get you out of here with this brother, the third and final, what can people expect from, from Heish at the seminar? Yeah, I think uh, for me, it'll be, uh, I'll try to be transparent about my perspectives. Um, I'm, I'm eager to, to learn and grow and I like people asking questions and um, I'll probably ch uh, rebuttal with questions. So I, I hope it's a uh, kind of a stimulating conversation. We talk, we talk about stuff that um, that you may not have thought about before and, and that's stimulating. And then hopefully uh, there's questions that are asked to me that uh, stimulate me and get me uh, questioning as well. So I'm not going to have all of the answers, but I hope I can uh, engage in, uh, in thinking with the group and stuff. I think it's a uh, big piece of it for me. Yeah, brother. Well, listen, man, I am so stoked, Heish, to have you as part of the event. I'm so happy to be able to sit down and catch up a little bit this morning with you, brother. Thank you so much for getting up early, man, and can't wait to have you back here this July, back in the, back on campus where it belongs, going back to our roots. And, and couldn't be more excited to have you as part of it, brother. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you so much for being part of the event. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate this and uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah, man. And as always, thank you for everything y'all do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.